God is good. Amen. Amen. Can you hear me okay? All right. Thank you. Uncle Michael, I'm, I'm definitely not going to be a pastor, so. <laughs> but let's see what God has in for me. But thank you so much for uh, your encouragement. And thank you, Pastor James. Uh, again, this is the last available public opportunity for me to thank you. Uh, thank you for all that you have done to SDAC and to me personally as well. Uh, worship team, once again, thank you. It was a soulful singing this morning. Amen, amen to that. And uh, Ryan, thank you for your prayer. <laughs> thank you for your prayer. Uh, I'm a bit nervous doing it for the first time, so bear with me. So one of the things that I've noticed, at least in SDAC, uh, from the preachers who preached uh, until now, is that they, they were all quite punctual. They stick to the time allotted to them. And I'm afraid that tradition might be broken today. Uh, I'm sorry for that. Uh, if you have any commitments, I seek your apology in advance. <laughs> I am not a native presenter nor a sales guy, so I don't have fancy presentations. I am not a native English speaker either. Um, so I'm going to rely on some slides to cover that gap. <laughs> um, but trust me, I played all the possible pawns I had to run away from this. But I realized I can't. Uh, so here am I. I had no choice, and so you do. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a rough 30 plus minutes. I would ask the congregation to join with me for a word of prayer before I start. <clears throat> Father in heaven, what a privilege for this useless donkey to share your word. May you please be my voice and the instructing spirit. As we open the scripture, Lord, help us to keep us away from all the distractions that could put our focus off on you. Help us to be attentive to your voice. Please come into our hearts and convict us from our innermost souls. Help us to feel the force of the conviction, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right. Works. Um, so what do you think is the shortest sermon in the Old Testament? Can anyone take a guess? Anyone? Except for Kelly, because he knows my slides. <laughs> anyone? Okay. All right, so it's found in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Just eight words the shortest sermon ever in the Old Testament. And the impact of it, we will continue to unpack as we move on. Um, today, we're going to study the book of Jonah. I, I chose the book of Jonah because it's the easiest to preach, I thought, uh, but realized it was not the case. Um, I, I thought it would be a familiar, familiar story, and I thought everyone will have a pretty good sense of it. But I realized that it, it isn't the case. So we, we're going to study um, the book of Jonah. It's, it's a very short book, just 48 verses. I think we can read it in less than five minutes if uh, we do it uh, together. Uh, but you know what? There's so much density in it, you know, very, very much density, that Jesus identifies himself as the central part of his mission, not just once, but twice, with a guy who got swallowed by a fish. You see? That's the density of this book. And I, I had a tough time in choosing which part of Jonah to preach. Um, but today, we'll, we'll focus on Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Um, and we will read through all the verses. Now, before we get started, um, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Uh, we, we are all familiar with uh, Jonah and the story, right? But there's a distinct difference between this minor prophet Jonah and the other prophets who are recorded in the Bible. Uh, 
Um, can anyone guess this? <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll break that anyways. So most of the prophets, if not all of them, they ate the fish. But in the case of Jonah, the fish ate him. <laughs> well, the joke's apart. Um, but then, uh, looking at the book of Jonah, it, it has to be read along with the book of Nahum. Why? Simply because uh, both these two books uh, prophesy, or rather, these two prophets prophesy about uh, Nineveh. So we, we're going to be reading or primarily focusing in the book of Jonah, but we, we have to read Jonah and Nahum together to understand the context. Right? Uh, now, why Jonah is distinct um, is because Though the prophet Nahum and Jonah prophesied about Nineveh, only Jonah had the opportunity to go on site, right? while Nahum prophesied predominantly from Judah. Um, the book of Jonah is unique from the rest of minor prophets. Right? If, if you notice the other prophets, usually it, it starts, um, or the task is usually to prophesy about a nation, about uh, destruction of uh, the enemy country. However, Jonah is unique. Why? It, it simply asks Jonah, or he sends a missionary prophet to a foreign country, not to prophesy about destruction, but to rather preach to them and bring repentance, uh, which is quite unique, which we don't see in the case of the other prophets. Right? So today we, we're going to unpack these two chapters, and I hope uh, there will be some sort of conviction we can learn from these lessons. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I hope you're able to see. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come before me. You see, this, these two verses introduces us uh, to three significant characters, which I've highlighted on the screen. Um, one, the Lord, two, Jonah, and three, Nineveh. Now we have to establish the context of uh, who these three characters are to understand what this book is all about. Now, the Lord, we don't have to have a separate introduction. The scripture is full of who the Lord is. The book of Bi uh, the Bible is full of um, descriptions of what the Lord is all about. Right? We, we find no lack of scriptures describing who the Lord is. But one of my favorites is from Joshua chapter 2 and 11, where a Gentile woman proclaims who this Lord is. And she says, The Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. That just sums up who the Lord is. There are many other passages too. If you have time, probably you can read Psalm 103. That's a classic psalm. Uh, when you find time, you can ponder upon it. Uh, it describes who the Lord is and what his characters are. And coming back to the second character, it's Jonah. He's labeled as uh, a reluctant prophet, a disobedient prophet, a runaway prophet, a prodigal prophet, so on and so on. You know, you, you name it and we can f fix this uh, as a prefix to his name. But you know, unlike the resume of other prophets in the Bible, which usually gives us an introduction or the details about the prophet, especially the time period where they were prophesying and under which king they were prophesying, so on and so forth, at least to establish the time frame when these prophets were, whether they are real or whether a mythical story. Right? But in the case of Jonah, it's not the case. Right? Uh, if we look, usually the other prophets, it will be like the word of the Lord came to so-and-so prophet in so-and-so time, in the reign of so-and-so, to go and prophesy to so-and-so. But in the case of Jonah, it's, it's quite unusual. It just says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amitai, saying, that's it. And the mission is introduced there. But then, if you look in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 29, this passage fills the gap of the time setting in which period Jonah was. Right? This gives us a clue about the historical setting of who Jonah was and where 
he was working as. Now we all know the story, right? This was the period of Jeroboam II. Uh, Bible says he did nothing but evil in the sight of the Lord. Right? And he reigned Israel for 41 days. Uh, sorry, 41 years. Uh, though Jeroboam was a wicked king, there were good things happening under his reign. God was merciful to the Israelites and there were good things happening to him. And it was in this period that Jonah was introduced to us. Uh, interestingly, Jonah in this period seems to be an obedient prophet. There's no uh, textual indicators to show that Jonah was a rebellious prophet. You know, he, he seems to be obedient. He prophesies whatever God tells him. He goes and prophesies to the king. So that's, that's about it. And uh, only those eight passages. And after that, he doesn't show up until the book of Jonah. Uh, the third character in this uh, introduction is Nineveh, right? The city of blood. Uh, because that's how Nahum, the prophet Nahum describes it. You know, if you, you can read that in Nahum 3.1. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. That's how prophet Nahum describes uh, Nineveh. And, in, and if you look carefully, this Nineveh can be traced all the way back to Nimrod, right? The, the chief architect of Tower of Babel, right? Now, um, probably this could be the reason why Jonah decided to run away, but we'll, we'll come to that. Um, this Nineveh was the economic and military power um, of the Assyrian Empire in those days, a country of idols, right? Uh, Nahum chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 exposes the barbaric behavior of uh, this city. Right? The uh, brutality of the Assyrian armies can be found in Nahum 3 verses 1 to 4, uh, where victims are always present. Violence and murder are a common reality. Her cruelty has no bounds. Um, to illustrate this brutality, the last verse of Nahum says, uh, it rather accuses the king with a rhetorical question, upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? We, we can read that in the book of Nahum. So that's why I was uh, recommending to read the book of Nahum and Jonah together. Right? Now, if you read these two verses um, carefully, they throw at us two very significant questions. Though we won't spend time on decoding those two questions, uh, but I'd rather share them with you to ponder upon. Right? I'll continue to share more questions uh, with you as I move along. The first question is, why Jonah? Why was God so choosy about sending only Jonah to Nineveh? Were there no other prophets during his period? When Jonah ran away, God could have chosen some other prophets from Judah. But he was persistent in asking Jonah to go to Nineveh. Why? And why Nineveh, the city of blood? I'm sure at that period of time, there could have been many other sinful nations who are doing more evil than Nineveh. But why God sent Jonah to this city of blood? Why did this city had a special play in God's plan? So these are the questions that I would want you to ponder upon uh, today. Let's read on. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So many details. Fascinating, right? God's prophet decides to run away from him. So there's a calling and Jonah decides to run away from him. I think when Jonah heard this calling, arise, go to Nineveh, it must have sounded utterly absurd to him. Obviously for two reasons. Why? Number one, there were no other instances recorded in the Bible where a prophet has been called to go to a foreign country and prophesy. The prophecies were predominantly within the boundaries of Israel and Judah. And um, if, if, if God... Even if God asks to prophesy about the enemy countries, they could safely do that because there's no threat of enemy for them. Because they cannot infiltrate the boundaries and then come and take this guy down just because he prophesied against Nineveh or any other country for that matter. 
So he was sort of um, secure, uh, and he questions God as to, Lord, there has been no instances of such a setting. Why are you sending me as a foreign missionary? Right? So that's one of them. And of course, uh, since he was under a king, he might have been paid well. He might have sort of taken care well. I think these are the two reasons uh, which might have triggered Jonah to flee away from Tarshish. Uh, though these are speculations, um, but it could be, it cannot be brushed off. Right? Nineveh was not only outside of the borders of Israel, but was also outside of Jonah's comfort zone. Hence, he decides to flee from the presence of the Lord. But he forgot the fact which uh, Psalmist puts beautifully in his Psalm 139.7, where can I flee from your presence? Yeah, where can we flee from the presence of the Lord? The fact is, our God is not someone to flee from, but he is someone to flee to. Jonah forgot the fact. Now, Esdak, the question is, do you believe that God is calling our church to orient ourselves away from our safety, security, and comfort? What is your response? Have you become too little comfortable like Jonah and are feeling from, fleeing from his presence? Or are we responding to God's call? But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, you see, the immediate reaction when we read this passage will be like, oh yeah, he's a rebellious prophet. God calls him and he runs away. Prodigal prophet, non-missionary, disobedient. We become judgmental, don't we? Because we don't have such labels for any other prophets in the Bible. I think only when it comes to Jonah, we have so many titles. I'm not denying the fact that he was disobedient. Neither am I justifying this either. But in my opinion, we shouldn't be harsh. Very unfair. Why? In the history of all the prophets, if we take a look, there is a common signature of this rebellious. No exceptions to anyone. I'll quote a few. If you see the uh, calling of each and every prophet in the history of um, Bible, the template follows this. There is a prophetic mission. There's a prophetic call from God. God calls his prophets and assigns them a task or a mission. They say, go prophesy to this country or go prophesy against this country. Now go lead these people out. You know, go and talk to this king. Talk about destruction or talk about blessings. You know, There's a prophetic mission. And the immediate reaction from the prophets are usually an objection or, you know, to show some sort of reluctance, like, Lord, why, why should I do that? You know, what's in for me? But then God intervenes to clarify those objections or clarifications, right? Either by rebuking the prophets or by showing some signs or by performing some miracles. And finally, the mission of God is accomplished, right? So this seems to be a common signature throughout the Bible. Now, um, I don't know if you can see, I've, I've put few texts, you know, to quote some of the prophets. You know, these, these are just few. But if you read the prophetic callings, you can see the signature throughout. And an example, Gideon, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Abraham. You name them, right? Everyone had their fair share in objecting to God's mission later was clarified and God intervened by performing miracles and comforting them and encouraging them and eventually the mission gets accomplished, right? But why are we so harsh to Jonah? Is that because it was written in the Bible that he tried to flee away from God? Elijah, the man of fire, right? He single-handedly handled the 400 Baal prophets on the Mount Carmel. He was mocking them and he was mocking the king also, right? But when it came to his life, he fled away. He ran for his life. Elisha, when Elijah asked him to follow, he's like, bro, give me some time. I have some errands to take care. Uh, and then he objects. None of them. None of them. 
But the point is, um, Jonah did dis disobey. Though the act of other prophets was different than Jonah, uh, they still had their fair share in following this prophetic template. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah starts his journey. Should have been a land-based, but he decides to go on a first-class paid trip to the most expensive tourist destination of those days. The idea of running away to Tarshish doesn't sound like it was taken at the brink of a moment. Looks like he carefully thought it and planned about it. Uh, there are other details in the verse we can glean on to argue on that part, but we'll move on. Right. The path of disobedience is ever down. When you decide to disobey God, when you decide to flee away from God, the path is ever down. The Bible records it as plain as you could think. He went down to Joppa, went down into it. He'd gone down into the lowest parts. He lay down, he cast me into the deep. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. Cannot be as plain as this. Again, some questions. Why did Jonah decide to flee? Why was he reluctant to go to Nineveh? Why Joppa and not any other port? Wouldn't God have intervened while Jonah was en route to Joppa from Gathaper? Some questions to ask. Verses 4 to 6. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. To lighten the load, but Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. Why did God have to wait until Jonah board the ship? Why wasn't there an intervention while Jonah was transiting from Israel to Joppa? Sure, it was a long distance to cover. Uh, what I think is, even though God or the Spirit had moved him or pricked his conscience, since Jonah had made a decision to go on a vacation, it wouldn't have bothered him much. So he anyways decided to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now you see, verse 5 says, The Maronites were afraid. Every man cried out to his God, threw the cargo that was into the ship to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. No surprise. What else can you expect from the prophet who was deliberate in his choice of running away? He was fast asleep. Church, are we sleeping too? God expects that we use the blessings that he showered upon us to bring glory and honor to his name. Not for our personal luxury. What are we doing? Are we running away? A question to ask ourselves. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. It's amazing how God works, right? <laughs> when the gentle sailor or the gentle captain asked him to arise and cry out, it would have hit Jonah very hardly. You know why? Because this was the same calling which God gave to Jonah. You remember in verse 2 we read, Arise, go and cry. Similar words. And the captain says, Arise and cry out. And Jonah would be like, Oh man, no. This is exactly the same call that I wanted to run away from. Why are you reminding me again? Verse 7 to 9. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? 
What is your country and of what people are you? <laughs> really direct questions, sort of an interview. But all they were trying to ascertain is what deity has they offended? Right? Because Assyria was, was a country of idols. Everyone had their own gods. So they were trying to figure out, oh dear, which god did we offended? All the sailors were crying out to their gods. But the reaction of the captain is a loaded one. To put this in a local slang, in my slang, to be precise, the captain would have asked Jonah, Dei Tungumunji, Yarani, Yangrindra Vanda. But the fact is, that's a very loaded question. But Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a Hebrew. I think the pride would have radiated from his body throughout, right? So, I'm a Hebrew. He would have lifted up his collar and said, I'm a Hebrew man. Funny, right? And he says, I fear the Lord. Really? Yeah, that's why he was sleeping down there, even in the midst of a dangerous storm. This very disconnection from the struggles and difficulties of others, of Jonah, is a warning to the church. So church, what are we doing when others are struggling? What are we doing when others are trying to overcome their difficulties? So the question really is, if we stop worshipping here, would anyone in our community feel our absence? If the answer is no to this question, then we don't deserve to be here. We are no better than Jonah. It took a Gentile captain to wake this non-missionary prophet from his sleep. What about us? Don't ignore the voice of your spouse, your community, your child, your friend, your pastor, your critic, non-believer, anyone for that matter. They could be the voice that may shake you from your slumberness. Are we good for nothing except to meet every week for 30 minutes and go back? Are we really doing what the community actually needs? And in fact, this verse from Romans 2.24 cut my veins. And it reads, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So very true. Are we blaspheming the name of God in front of Gentiles? That's what Jonah did. Now I'm going to read a psalm for you. Let's turn your Bibles to Psalm 107. I think the verses might be so tiny on the screen. Turn with me to Psalm 107, passages, verses 23 from 32. Psalm 107, 23 to 22. So this psalm has a striking connectivity with the book of Jonah, what we are reading. Right? It says, Those who go down into the sea in ships, sorry, rather, into the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in the trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Strikingly similar to the story of the sailor on board. They were running to and fro like drunken men when the storm was raging. They were crying to their gods. They were crying to their gods. Exactly the same. Focusing back to Jonah 1, Jonah 1 verses 10 to 16. The sailors were trying their best. You know, the uh, passage reads it that way. The sailors were trying their best to 
overcome the stormy sea. They were exceedingly afraid. Why, why have you done this? Why have you fled from the presence of the Lord? What shall we do? And then our prophet coolly says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Really? He had strength to walk all the way from Joppa, sorry, from Israel to Joppa. And he doesn't want to jump into the sea by himself. And he asks the Gentiles to pick him and throw him up. Fabulous. He had no business on the ship at all in the first place. A useless contribution. But the act of the sailors shows what we as the children of God should be doing. Look who is at the rescue. The Gentile, the pagan sailors are calling on the God. And at no point in the scene does Jonah pray. God didn't cause Jonah to rebel. No. But he used that opportunity. The sailors witnessed the mercy and the forgiveness of God through this rebellious prophet. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Salvation, deliverance belongs to the Lord. When God is at work, no human efforts can stop it. No, salvation cannot come by human efforts, however sincere it is, because the salvation and deliverance belongs to the Lord. How spontaneous the reactions of these sailors were. They were authentic. You know, this, this passage mirrors or exposes contrasting differences between the prophet and the sailors. They were terrified and crying to their lords. But a prophet went to sleep. The sailors were trying hard to save this troublemaker. But he didn't even want to get off the ship by himself. They were trying to lighten the load of the ship. But our prophet has become a stumbling block. They were crying to the Lord for help. But he is fleeing away from the Lord. They wanted to live. But our prophet wished to die. They tried to save Jonah. But he was content to perish. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Poor fish. It had to fast three days because of this rebellious prophet. I think credit goes to Jonah. See, there was this young man who had everything except God in his life. A good job, good family, good friends. Life was treating him good. But on a fine rainy day, when he was back to his home from work, and when he was just 30 minute drive away from the work, when he thought things were under control, there was something that shook him. There was no time for him to react. By the time he could come to his senses, the car flew 30 to 45 feet in the air. Like Jonah, there was not a slightest chance for this man to come out alive unless there is or there was a miracle intervention. But guess what? That young man came out of that car unharmed, not even a scratch on his body. Six years later, he is standing in front of you and sharing how loving our God is, whose intentions for you and me never change. Even if we go into the deepest pits, He is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now the question is, why would God allow such a thing when His promise is He shall cover you with His feathers? Why would God allow one of His prophets to be swallowed by a fish? Well. God didn't put one of his prophets in a fish unless he decides to choose himself to go into a position where God had no choice but to put him in a fish. See, God is in a continual state of change to accommodate the decisions that we make. Yes or no? God getting swallowed by the fish was not God's plan at all. Often our actions prompt God to accommodate 
a new situation. God's view of you, even when you are fleeing to Tarshish, is of a father's love and not condemnation. The psalmist beautifully quotes this. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Jonah's willingness to do, unwillingness to do what God has asked him to do, created a new situation. Let's admit it. It's, this is everybody's story. right? Adam, Eve, Abraham, Jacob, David, Peter, Jonah, you and me. We all need a second chance. God's second chances are for everyone. God loves us so much that he brings us back over the same ground that we failed on the first time. Moving on to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it. Now the other striking similarity what I wanted to share with you is if you carefully read the book of Jonah, the first two chapters and the last two chapters are strikingly identical. They are carefully put. The first two chapters... Jonah and the sailors, the sailors' revival, and the displaced Jonah. The last two chapters, Jonah and the Ninevites, the revival of the Ninevites, and the displaced Jonah. It's so, so structured and it was so carefully put, we can see a striking similarity between these two passages. You know, Jonah, of course, becomes like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Now, God calls Jonah for the second time. If you notice, he didn't call him the second time to cry against Nineveh, but to preach the message that the Lord had taught him. There is a subtle change in, in the way how God instructed Jonah. In the first chapter, first verse, we say, Arise, go, and cry. In this verse, it says, Arise, go, and preach. There is a subtle change. The change that God taught him a few days ago, the message of forgiveness, the message of God's love, the message of God's mercy, the message of God's care. These are the messages that God wanted Jonah to preach to Nineveh. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The shortest sermon preached ever in the Old Testament. As a recipient of God's forgiveness, Jonah didn't seem to be willing in extending this to Ninevites. He was like blunt. Yet 40 days you will be gone. That's all he says. And there were no textual indicators to show that he was there. He says that and he disappears until chapter 4. He goes and pitches a gazebo on a mountain and then stays there. But God's posture towards Nineveh didn't change. Only Jonah's posture did. Why? Because the Lord promised. The Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A lovely promise. But our prophet was not willing to extend this promise to the Ninevites. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Hmm. Wow. A king arising from his throne and laying aside his robe, covering himself with sackcloth, sat on ashes, sitting together with common people, that's not an easy thing to do. But the king of Nineveh did. Look at the authenticity of the king's repentance. It's identical towards, or it's identical like how the sailors responded when they tasted the mercy of our God. It was immediate in both the cases. If you read Jonah chapter 2, there was never sort of repentance in his prayer. He's like, okay God, only if you will get me out of the ship, then I will make some vows. <laughs> but the sailors and the king and the city of blood, their actions were immediate. 
when they realized, when they heard the truth, they reacted immediately. In chapter 2, he says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. When my soul fainted me, I remembered the Lord. So, there's no sort of repentance there. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my afflictions. You know, he's out of desperation, he prayed to the Lord. But the sailors and the city of Nineveh, they didn't do it that way. They immediately reacted. Now, the sermon was, the sermon was short. But the ever-loving God, the Holy Spirit moved their hearts to repent. What happens next? We witness a greatest revival, though the message by the prophet had no compassion. See, when you hear the truth, surrendering oneself is the true revival. And the king of Nineveh did this. The city of blood repented just by surrendering to the Lord after hearing the truth. As we receive the Lord's mercy, we are to extend that to the world. Jonah didn't do that. He didn't go to Nineveh with enthusiasm and passion. But the question is, are we willing to share this good news with others? Are we willing to do what prophet failed to do? The book of Jonah should at some level be a mirror to us where we ask ourselves the question, am I outwardly compliant or am I converted? I'm done. I'm done. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. See, how loving our God was, or is, in fact. I just want to share a small story, a real story about a person, and then I'll close it off. Now, we, we were talking about the shortest sermon, what the shortest sermon did to another person in our context. Nikki Cruz was regularly beaten from the age of three and a half years. At the age of nine, his heart turned to stone after a severely abusive episode and a failed suicide attempt. As one of 19 children born to a witchcraft practicing parents in Puerto Rico, bloodshed and mayhem were common occurrences in his life. He suffered severe physical and mental abuse at their hands, at one time being declared the son of Satan by his mother when she was in a spiritual trance. When he was 15, Nikki's father exiled him to live with an older brother in New York City. Full of anger and rage, he soon left his brother to take his chances on the streets. By the age of 16, he became a member of the notorious Brooklyn Street Gang. Within six months, he had risen the ranks to become their warlord, ruling the streets as a leader of one of the gangs most feared by the rivals and police at the time. Lost in the cycle of alcohol and brutal violence, his life took a tragic turn for the worse when his best friend Manny, a fellow gang member, was jumped and stabbed repeatedly. Manny bled out and died in Nikki's arms. As Nikki Cruz's violent reputation grew, so did his haunting nightmares. Arrested countless times, a court-ordered psychiatrist pronounced Nikki's fate as hopeless. No authority figure could reach the young warlord until he met a skinny country preacher named David Wilkerson. David risked his life to tell Nikki there was hope. Wilkerson disarmed Nikki by showing him something that Nikki had ever known before, the relentless love of God. The love of God was stronger than any adversary that Nikki had encountered in his life. Wilkerson's interest in the young thug was persistent. It wasn't easy. Nikki bet him up, spat on him, and seriously threatened his life. At one point, he took a knife and put it against his chest and said, I'm, I'm going to 
pierce it through your chest. But the love of God prevailed. All that Wilkerson did was to tell Nikki Cruz that Jesus loves him. Nikki and his gang showed up at one of Wilkerson's rallies. One by one, they gave their lives to Christ. Jesus loves you. Those three words changed the course of a cold-hearted gangster's life. A shortest sermon than what Jonah preached. Now this cold-hearted gangster is an evangelist traveling all over the world speaking to some of the hardened criminals who don't respond to their parents, to their teachers, or to the jail system and sharing the love of God to them. All it takes for us is to step out of our house and say, Jesus loves you to those who don't know God. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a great scholar. You don't have to be a prophet. All you need is a willing heart. All we need, all we need is, is a willing heart. Do we have that heart? So when God calls you to do something, He's not always calling you to succeed. He is calling you to obey. The success of the calling is up to him who called. And the obedience is up to you. So Esdek, as much as a rebellious prophet Jonah was, his short sermon teaches us that the city of the blood repented and there was a great revival. Straying people became praying people. People turned from committing sins to confessing their sins. There's no doubt that there was no compassion in the sermon that Jonah preached, but there was a power in the words he chose. Jonah was a symbolic portrayal that the church is a sleeping church. It was easy for God to turn the Gentiles towards him. It was easy for God to turn the Ninevites towards him. God had no challenges in bringing repentance to those who didn't knew the truth. But getting the focus of those who claim to be his children is the real struggle of God. So people of God, if your desire is to share the hope, the three angels' message to those who are lost, if you have the burden to get those who don't know the truth to God. If you're willing to share the choicest prayerful words about God's love to your friends and your neighbors. If you're willing to arise to go to Nineveh, not to Tarshish, to proclaim the second coming of the Messiah. If you're willing to bring revival in someone's life, if you're willing to commit yourself to God's calling, and if you're willing to respond to Lord to say, here am I, send me. Now is the time. If God can work in the hearts of a cold-hearted warlord, if God can work with a hopeless person like me, if God can work with a rebellious prophet like Jonah, God can work with your second chance. Don't just come with an outward compliance, but come with a whole heart. Because Salvation is from the Lord. Amen.
Loving God of second chances, thank you for giving us the hope that there is a second chance for each and every one of us here. As we depart from this place, may you impress our hearts with a desire to go and share the good news with others. Help us to respond to your calling, not by outwardly complying, God, but help us to come to you with our whole heart. May your peace and your love be upon each and every one of us as we go. In the name of my merciful Savior, I pray. Amen. <laughs>